gives it to Wall. Working against Bradley for three. John Wall! What a shot! Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive! Bledsoe back to pass, steps up, going deep, caught ball! T.O. is leveled by Sean Taylor, and he's slow getting up. There's going to be a run back from 9 deep for Jacoby Jones, and look at him go! Jones is past the 50, and he is flying! Inside the 20, and a kickoff return, 109 yards and a touchdown, an all-time record! Holding inbounds to Nicholas. Four seconds, three seconds, he's across midcourt. Two seconds, one second, throws it up. Money. And he got it! And the Terrapins win on the shot by Nicholas at the buzzer! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Hoyes win! Puck in front, Connolly with a chance! And they score! They score! The puck on a rebound for Lars Eller! And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to DMV Dispute, brought to you by DMV Sports Network. You can follow us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. I'm your host, Jeremy, and you can follow me on Twitter at jsquared 21 I'm joined today by my boys, Darren and Gerard. Darren, Gerard, how's everything going with you all? Good, good, very, well, overall good, I guess. Things, yeah, the things are going okay so far. Uh, scans let me down yesterday, but other than that, it's all good. <laughs> uh, Darren, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops. Currently, my Mystics supporting them, waiting for uh, game one of the semis Tuesday night. Can't wait. Hey, what about you, Jerron? They can find me on Twitter at RoddyKG. That's at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. Shout out to the Capitals starting their season off today. Uh, preseason game against the Blackhawks. Go Caps. All right. As always, we are proud to do this podcast for one of the top sports websites in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and that is DMVSportsNetwork.com. They can be followed on Twitter and Instagram at DMV underscore SN. They have some great daily content on the website of all things DMV sports, whether it be professional, college, high school sports, and a lot more. So after you listen to this podcast, Go ahead and check out dmvsportsnetwork.com. In addition, please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever podcasts are available, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many more. Let's move on to our first topic for this episode, the Baltimore Ravens. They are 2-0. and uh, Lamar Jackson played well against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, so it's two games. Two weeks into the season, uh, when it comes to Lamar Jackson, would you put Lamar Jackson in your MVP power rankings? Let's start with you, Darren. Uh, I kind of went back and forth with this uh, before before we started this. Uh, I can't put him there just yet. I simply think it's too early. 
Um, I think it's too early to tell. You know, it's nice that his throwing has definitely improved, and he can still run the football. You know, he had a he had a career day on Sunday against the Cardinals. You know, a career best 120 yards rushing and uh, 272 yards throwing is very very impressive. Um, you know, first in NFL history, from what I'm from what I understand, to record a 250 plus passing yards, 100 plus 100 plus rushing yards. Um, you know, first first person since the 1970 merger uh, in a single game to do that. Um, but I mean, I we just need a little bit more time to tell. I think I think Lamar Jackson is definitely going to be a great quarterback. Um, I don't know if I can really place him on the MVP rankings yet. You know, just given just given his his competition. You know, he. Led the Ravens, the Miami Dolphins, who just lost forty-three to zero to the Patriots, and you know the Cardinals game was was very exciting. It was intense. You know, it went down to literally the final minutes. But you know that Cardinals team is is also not very good. You know, they're zero and two. So I think you know we just have to kind of see what he's able to do against these better teams. You know, against uh, you know especially in these uh, upcoming division games and just you know, against teams like the Chiefs and whatnot. We just want to see what he's able to do before I really put him in uh, in the power ranking, in the MVP power rankings for right now. So I think he's having a really, really impressive and, you know, record-breaking start to the season, but I can't fully overreact to his, his stellar performance against two teams that are not going to be very good this year. I mean, plain and simple. So, uh, I, yeah, I, he's doing great. Let's just, let's revisit this maybe, you know, a few more games into the season and see where we stand. Um, for me, I think you kind of have to uh, consider him to be in the MVP race. I think it's uh, honestly Mahomes, Brady, and Jackson. Uh, I think actually Brady and Jackson might be tied for uh, number two right now. Because uh, of, I mean, it's only two weeks in, but just the way they've been able to lead their teams and dominate the, their opponents, I think uh, look, Patrick Mahomes gets a little bit nod because he's played tougher opponents. Both Brady and Jackson had the. Dolphins in their first two games, so you know that makes any yeah. team look good. Hopefully, that's the same. That stays true for the Skins in a few weeks. But I think it's hard if you're going to take way too early MVP odds. I think it's almost impossible not to have Jackson to be considered be to be considered in that conversation outside of. Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, Tom Brady, who else could be in that conversation? I don't think anybody's at at this point has dominated consistently or the first two weeks like those two have. So, I mean, look, those three have. So I think that they're definitely in the conversation. Uh, if it's top five, I'll go those three. Um, and then Aaron Rodgers maybe is also in that conversation. Uh and then after that, it's the field. Maybe you can put somebody like a, uh, maybe, 
a a defensive player or a receiver or running back, something like that. But I think it's those four guys that are are on top right now, and I don't think there's any denying that. Lamar Jackson's had a great start to the season. If it continues, if the production doesn't take a dip, if teams can't figure out how to stop them, then it's going to be a very good season for Baltimore. And I think uh, it'd be really good. Uh, it'd be really good for Lamar's credibility as a quarterback to be considered a MVP, MVP candidate the further into the season that we go. Well, I feel like if we're gonna if we're going to include um, if we're gonna include Lamar Jackson based on the performances against these these first two these first two teams in the season then we'd have to include a guy like you know a Dak Prescott who's had who has he had he's had the Giants and the Redskins we're going to talk about a little bit later if you if you look at that you know those two teams make Dak look like you know a super elite quarterback in in the NFL so if we're if we're going to include Lamar Jackson on that on that Based on these first two opponents, then we've got to put a guy like Dak up there, and I and I, would, I agree, I agree. I, I see, but but that's but that's again. I think it all ties into the into the way too early to tell uh, I mean, Pantheon because yeah, we haven't talking, seen talking them against the de- you know decent teams. I would talking I end of the year I, talking end of the year uh, awards in week two is always going to be too early. Lamar Jackson could have played the 85 Bears and the 16-0 and Patriots these first two weeks, and if he had the same performance, it would still be too early, you know? Well, I think- it, but Right, but if he had that same performance against those teams, then it feels more legitimate to put him in the power <laughs> rankings. Like, I can, I can put, I can put Mahomes up there because of because of what he's done because of because of what he's done uh, so far and I think Brady's always going to be up there simply by virtue of being Tom Brady you know just just he he is a dominating quarterback and he's always going to be an, a, a perennial MVP candidate as long as he's healthy that that's how I feel about it but when you look at guys like Lamar Jackson or like Prescott at this moment, who I also think is always kind of going to be in the discussion no matter what, simply because he's Aaron Rodgers, kind of on that Brady uh, level, um, even though he had kind of a lousy performance in week one. I, if you're going to, I think it's too early to measure those based on the competition, based on what he's done. I agree that you, your point about if he had done this against teams uh, like like that Bears team and, you know, like the 16-0 Patriots and, and whatnot, then I think absolutely, yes, you'd have to put him in there. But right now, I mean, I just, we need to see him against, you know, more elite competition. Yeah, like I said, we, of course, we, we'll need to see more, but I think that who, I don't, I think the opponents, they're not irrelevant, but for such a small sample, you know, I, it's, there's, these are still professionals. Uh, like I said, you know, I don't think players should be paid or, you know, 100% judged off of a small handful of games. And, and if you make it to the, if you make it to the NFL, you can be you can dominate and look amazing for 
a few games for two, three, four, five, even half a season. But only the true elite, only the true people that belong can do it every single week for years and years and years and years. And because, you know, like Brock Osweiler looked good in a small sample, good enough that Houston paid him a lot of money. But when it was his show, he faltered. He didn't, he wasn't up to snuff. Like, and there's so many more examples of that, of people who look great in small little sample sizes. And that's all we have to adjust them on. So you can't really, you can't say that they're going to be bust because you haven't seen them be anything but that little small sample size. So it's the same thing with this. Like you can say that it's no matter like if like yeah, it's, it's bad competition, but take that out of it. You just look at the numbers. He's been the, he's been one of the three best players in the NFL for the first two weeks, and. If you're if you're starting your if you're running a sports book and you're updating your odds to be MVP at the end of the season, he has to be in the top three. He has to be, you know, the guy that's up there in the top three or top five at the minimum because he's if if he's on because that he's saying the event that he's on track to do this number. He's projected to do this number. If he keeps it up, he'll do this. So yeah, it's early, but for the sake of the conversation, that's what we have to do. Oh yeah, right. I, I I mean I I no, I'm sorry. I was just I was I I guess you're right. I just. I can't look at the com at the at the competition he's been up against and realistically put him in those rankings at this point. That's that that's all I'm saying. That's that's just me. I know it's different for everybody else, but I mean, I just looking at the competition. I I can't do that yet. I need another game. All right. So uh, I see both sides of what you all are saying. Uh, Darren, yes, it is only two weeks, and obviously we came up with this this discussion, this, uh, this topic, because it is going to be it's such a polarizing topic. So we did this for a reason. So, uh, so I see what you're saying, Darren, about it only literally being two weeks. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, Gerard, also you have a point where, you know, you, you do, you got to play who's on your schedule. And so far, yes, there are two teams that are not going to make the playoffs. One of them is probably going to be the get the number one overall pick. The other team is going to be pretty close. But at the same time, I mean, Lamar Jackson did did play this well. And statistically, this is the first regular season game where a quarterback has had that stat line and such a positive stat line. So uh, I, I see both sides of the argument and, and this one is going to probably be a split. I think really Baltimore Ravens fans are probably going to love this, that he's playing this well. And, and if they were to do their MVP power ranking, they probably would say the same thing that he needs to be somewhere on the list. Uh, but I think a lot of the, uh, the rest of the NFL or their fan bases are still like, well, let's see how you play against a playoff team. Uh, let's move on now to our next topic. The Washington Redskins had a 7-0 lead against the Dallas Cowboys in the second quarter. The Dallas Cowboys then scored on the next five possessions and won the game 31-21. Let's start with you, Gerard. Why did or why or who or what caused the Redskins to lose this game? 
That's a very loaded question. Um, I know, I know. It's a very yes. loaded question. Uh, there are many reasons why the Redskins lost the game. You can go back to uh, 20 years ago when Dan Snyder bought the team and started this uh, downhill avalanche that we're on now. You can go to more recent, just having a inept defensive coordinator that really can't formulate a game plan and communicate to his players, to his uh, staff, what he needs, what he wants to do, how to effectively put it on the field. You can point to injuries, um, but I think that's a very weak uh, uh, thing to stand on for this because I don't think, I don't think the injuries to the defensive side of the ball played a part in the loss yesterday. I really don't. I know I've been hearing or and seeing a lot of people talk about, oh, we were short two, we were short three starters on defense. If we had uh, Allen and Dunbar, it would have been a, we would have been <laughs> we would have been better. Like no, it, the Redskins are injured every year. So, but not, but it's not it's not even it's not even that that they're injured every year, which they are. But it's they are the the production from what we've seen out of the starting cornerbacks and the pass rush from yesterday, it wasn't that much of a drop-off from what we see normally. It was actually on par for the most part. Um, they're just bad. I, but, I wanna, but if I had to narrow it down to one reason why they lost, it would be Minuski. I would have to put it on Minuski. All in all, is as the main reason why the Redskins couldn't get it done yesterday. Um, the offense, for what it's worth, played well. I think. Uh, what was that final score? Thirty-one twenty-one. Thirty-one twenty-one. Uh, I I think the offense. I think it has a. I think they are. They are a. Uh, 16 to 20 point type of offense. I don't think they'll ever, I don't think, uh, just based off talent, scheme, depth, and whatever else, I don't think that they are capable of really scoring more than two touchdowns and a couple of field goals a game. I don't think they're a four touchdown or a 30 point team on offense and so the defense has to be able to hold teams to 20 points and they're just not able to do that uh but uh, unlike the offense they have the talent on that side of the ball that they should be able to do that but it just doesn't come together the way it should and so the defensive staff Minuski that's leading that's, that's leading that uh charge they have to be better at game planning and making in-game adjustments and doing a better job of communicating what needs to be done with the defensive players on the field because it's been multiple weeks now in a row that they just can't get it done as far as coverages, understanding what's going on, and then making adjustments in-game as they need to. Yeah, I... I... I have to put this largely on the defense. I think the offense looks passable. Um, you know, they scored. They scored twenty in the first game. Um, they scored 
21 in this game. I think that's kind of, like you said, I think that's kind of going to be par for the course for this Redskins team. And I think that's fine enough. I think Case Keenum is doing a fine job as, at quarterback. You know, I am loving what I'm seeing out of Terry McLaren for, uh, this far, you know, he's he's only going to get better from here. So he's he's looked really good. But, um, you know, when that defense gets on the field, you know, it's just you can feel the air coming out of the stadium, coming out of the entire arena. And, you know, the defense, they're 30th in the league in yards allowed. They've allowed 910 yards between the first two games, and they've given up 30 plus in two straight games. You know, this is this is not good. Opponents are also converting 64% of the of their third downs, you know. This this defense, it isn't creative. They're they're not making any adjustments and I think a lot of it falls on on uh Minuski. I think I think that's where uh, a lot of the defensive issues fall, you know. You always have to look at coaching and then it's like, you know, we we oft we oft quote this, but you know it, it's top down. So you know you, you start with the coaching staff, and then you work your way down. But I think the players are also you know culpable at some point as well. You know you've got guys that need to step up. You've got you know Josh Norman you know blowing coverages, and you've got guys just like missing tackles left and right. And it's just it, it, it's just there's. There's enough blame to go all around. And yeah, like you said, we can blame some of it on injuries. We can blame it on like young guys having to fill in for injured veterans, et cetera, et cetera. But on some level, that's first of all, it's just it's a part of the game. It's a next man up mentality. So I get that we don't have our guys, our, our starters out there necessarily in a lot of these cases, but the guys that are out there need to step up. You know, I just watching the the Cowboys march down the field, you know, watching them score on five straight possessions after the Redskins go up 7-0 and was just, that's embarrassing, and it looks really bad. So uh, I think that something needs to happen with this defense. So major changes need to happen. Um, but, yeah, I'm just looking at the defense. Like, they're just coming out with a lack of energy. So uh, the, the Washington Redskins defense, like you said, allowed the – Cowboys to score in five straight uh, possessions. And one of the key plays that a lot of Redskins fans are going to remember is the Devin Smith touchdown that uh, it looks like Josh Norman was burnt on the play. And in a way, yes, he was. But I, I, I'll give this to Josh Norman. I think it was Monte Nicholson who was back there. Monte Nicholson should have also been should have been back. Should have been. Uh, it looks like they were playing like a cover three, and he gambled trying to go for the receiver that was running the corner. Uh, I think it was a corner or a cross. I can't remember. I got to look at it again. But he went for the receiver that was shorter and allowed Devin Smith to blow past him and Josh Norman. This is the second week in a row this has happened, though. We saw it with Deshaun Jackson last week in Philly, and now we're seeing it again here with the Dallas Cowboys. Who is to blame for such a play like that? I'll start with you, Darren. Is that really the player just not learning from their mistakes? Is this the player uh, just, that's just how they are? Or is it 
the coaching staff and specifically the DB coach and the defensive coordinator that's not putting them in situations to remember, hey, if this happens, I got to do this. If that happens, I got to do that. Who is more? And I know it's probably both of them, really. But who is more to blame for a situation like that, Darren? Absolutely right. It it is it is both sides. But if I had to go with, uh, have to put it on the players that are actually out there on the field, you know, they're they're the ones that have to know. They have to be aware of what's going on. So you can't fully put that on on the defensive coordinator uh, at that point. Yeah, they need to coach you out of those habits and whatnot. You know, I. I guess I would put that more on the player, honestly. Um, yeah, the the coordinator, you know, the the coaching staff needs to needs to get them prepared for that and just have them ready. But yeah, I, I'd put that largely on the players. Um. Okay, so yeah, for me, all right. So in Philly against Deshaun Jackson, that was a true blown coverage. That was a confusion on the side of the defense that the players didn't know where to be. Uh, but last yesterday, that was just, oh, and when I first watched it and listened to the commentator, I thought, yeah, Nichols, like kind of just said, uh, that you kind of just said, Jeremy, that, oh, Nicholson should have been there for, safety help he should have been over the top um he should have been there etc but looking back at it and knowing how this Redskins defense works under uh Minuski, the way the Redskins run zone they run a, they run a lot of zone but their zone has man concepts so what will happen on that kind of play where like you, you said they're running a cover three? So, uh, so what is so what will happen? So, so, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, Gerard. But uh, and like I said, I gotta go back and look at the all twenty-two. But from what they showed during the game, it looks like they were supposed to run a cover three. Now they could have been running something else, but no, that's no, what it okay. looked like to me. Yeah, go no. ahead. So yeah, but looking at but a cover three is a cover three. People know it's a zone concept, but every single team runs differently, and every single team has different assignments for those players. The way the Redskins do it. So if Josh in that play, let's say Josh Norman is responsible for that left third of the field, and Monte Nicholson's responsible for anything that's going on over the top. So and a play like that in in the basic concept of cover three, it, you would think that Monte Nicholson was well, it would be responsible for anything going deep because he's the at the beginning of the play he is a he's the safety and he's deepest. But the way it works in the Redskins defense, if a player comes into your zone, so the beginning of the play, a receiver comes into Josh Norman's zone, he's covering that zone and he is responsible for that player that's coming into the zone. As soon as that player enters his zone, that's now Josh Norman's responsibility. Unless the player is cutting clear across field in like a crossing motion or something like that. But for the most part, if a player comes into Norman's zone, he is turns it turns into quasi man coverage and he is responsible to carry that defender through the length 
of the zone. So now it becomes a rotate. Now it becomes a rotating zone coverage. So since Devin Smith is going deep and he entered and he started his break in Josh Norman's zone. Norman is carrying is following Devin Smith to the uh, top of that route. But so now that Josh Norman is the deepest. Monte Nicholson has to rotate down and cover where Josh Norman's zone used to be. And that's what you saw him doing. So, in a, so you look at the all 22, you'll see Monte Nicholson coming down and going toward and defending the player that's going, the Cowboys player that's crossing, going across the middle, heading toward that uh, far sideline. So Prescott went there. There was somebody covering that zone because now the top of the defense is now being covered by Josh Norman. So that's where it looks like Monte Nicholson was coming down and Norman was was expecting help there. And a lot of coverages and a lot of cover three, cover two formations and on teams, that's what that's how it would be. But Norman but in risk on the Redskins def, Redskins defense for a lot of their cover three packages, cover two packages, that's how their zones work. It's zone, but once you get into your zone, you're running a lot of man coverages within that zone so that's why so that's why i kind of put it on norman but all that to say norman's been getting a lot of flack but watching the game in detail and focusing on norman every single play there are a lot of technical mistakes he's making where he you know he'll open up the wrong way he'll get caught looking into the backfield too much of the, with the quarterback, and he's not used to playing in a in a level that he spent that he played at the height of his career, and that's been people's issue with Josh Norman since he got here. But Josh Norman is playing the not the he's playing the best he can play, and what the issue is. He played in a completely different offensive uh, defensive scheme in Carolina. He got cut by, by Carolina, and the Redskins went and grabbed him up because he was a hot name. He they needed help at cornerback, and he was an unexpected player to be available. So they went out and signed him, not knowing and but not realizing that hey, does this guy work for our? for the system that we're in. The NFL football is so much more systematic than a sport like basketball or baseball even because the player has to be able to do what you need out of that position in your defensive scheme for it to work. You got he can have all the talent in the world. Some guys like a Khalil Mack and a Von Miller, they'll be able to play in any system because they're just uh disruptive force but for certain positions they're so nuanced that that person has to be able to fit and be able to do what you need out of that position and josh norman and his redskins scheme they want him to do a lot of man concepts and he's not a man-on-man corner he's a zone corner through and through and so there's always going to be a lack of communication between Norman and the coaching staff because they're asking him to play out of position a little bit. He has the talent to be able to make up for what he's lacking, but there's also, there's always going to be a little bit of a disconnect. Now, uh, let's real quick talk about the positives of this game. Terry McLaurin, are you? Yeah. Uh, do you, do you do you like this young man so far? Two games I in, do. I two do. touchdowns. I mean, you like him so far? 
Yeah, I do. I like it. I like it a lot. I like what Terry brings to this offense. He, I like what the off this offensive core. A healthy Paul Richardson is doing what I expected him to do. Trey Quinn, healthy again. He's you know playing to level I expected him to play. Terry has been a true surprise. And what actually what they be counting on? They were they said they all off season, all training camp, all preseason. They like what they see out of Terry McLaurin and that he looks good in. You know, and Ashburn, and not Ashburn, and Ashburn, and then also in Richmond, he looks good. And so they didn't, we didn't see a lot of him in preseason, so we didn't know what to expect. But this is a very, very good rookie, very uh, talented young man that we're seeing at the receiver position. He's bringing something to this office that we haven't had in a long time since the days of uh, Pierre Garcon, Deshaun Jackson here are receivers who can reliably get open and have sure hands and aren't afraid of contact. We haven't really had that in a while. We've had guys who are good at one or two of those things. We haven't had it all in one person at the receiver spot in a long time. The fact that he's a young, he's rookie, and he's a leader, he's a captain. Multiple times in Ohio State, he's just a, he could seem to be one the key pieces of this franchise and in his offense going forward, and um, it's and it's good to acquire pieces, whether it be through draft, trade, whatever the free agency, however it happens to draft pieces. I mean, to acquire guys who are going to help your team not just today, but five years from now, ten years from now. Even we, we Redskins need guys like that, and Terry McLaurin seems to be a guy who can come, who's coming to the system. It's only been two weeks. Like we say when we talk about the Ravens, you know, you can't judge an entire season, an entire career off of just two weeks. But what Terry McLaurin's been able to do with the time he's been with the Opportunities been given these first two weeks has been really, really promising. It's giving the Redskins a passive game. It's giving Jake Rudin a receiver for the first time in two seasons. So it's really been uh it's really been nice to see. I would have loved to see more Kelvin Harmon yesterday. I know he uh got some snaps, but I really didn't see him get too many targets yesterday. I would love to see him get to, I would see him added into the mix a little bit because I do like what he could bring to the table uh as well. So uh, the receiving group is was one of my biggest worries going into the season, and it now with everything else that's going on, it's probably the one I'm most confident in, or one of the most confident groups I had I'm, uh, on this team going into Week Three against the Bears. Yeah, so I really, yeah, I really do like what I'm seeing from from Terry McLaurin so far. I know it's like it's early, I know it's a couple games, but you know, I think he really does give Jay Gruden uh, an option at. Uh, at wide receiver and I think he's going to develop and he's only going to get better you know I like his connection with Case Keenum he's obviously become one of Case Keenum's favorite targets uh just this early on but yeah he's showing a lot of promise you know obviously there's still there's still a few areas that are of his game that are a little bit raw but I mean like you know he's young but he's I think he'll he'll develop in time and he's only going to get better but I think it's especially impressive that he's been able to do what he Against teams like the Eagles and the Cowboys, uh, the the better two teams in the in the division, and, and um, arguably in the NFC. So, you know, um, it, it's been very impressive what I've seen from him so far. So, I just I just hope he's here for a long time. We get to see him grow and and really develop on this team. 
when it comes to Redskins drafted wide receivers, uh, it's been a while since the Redskins drafted a stud wide receiver. I know the last couple guys who were really good, uh, Pierre Gasson was drafted by the Colts, uh, Deshaun Jackson by the Eagles, you know, but I, I can't think of in the recent history where we've had a wide receiver that was drafted by the Redskins that is playing well. Now, real quick, are you all able to think of anyone in the recent history? And I know it's only been two games, but I mean, he's shown that he can ball not only these two games, but through training camp preseason and his college career. Yeah, Darren, can you, Darren, or I'm sitting here thinking hard too. And I'm I'm looking at him too. I'm on pro football reference and obviously art monk, Charlie Taylor, but that's back in the day. Uh, are yeah. your, re- uh, reception leaders one and two Santana Moss was not drafted by the Redskins. Gary Clark is fourth. Chris Cooley is fifth. Jerry Smith. That's, yeah. And that's a tight end. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jerry Smith was a tight end and that was back in the sixties and seventies. Ricky Sanders, 80s and early 90s. Bobby Mitchell, that's the 60s. Yep. You know, Pierre Garçon was was a Colt. Jordan Reed is a tight end. Michael Westbrook. I mean, that's 1995 to 2001. Like, I am, I gotta go way. Like, I can't really think of anyone at the wide re- wide receiver position that was drafted in the last 10 to 15 years that is as good as what McLaren is showing us. So, yeah, that's. That's interesting. I hope he's able to stay with the Redskins and have a very good career because I think he could he could be very special for this team. Uh, before we continue, it's time to tell you about DMV Sports Network's library of podcasts. Right now, we have nine active shows, including team shows for the Redskins, Capitals, Nationals, Wizards, and Ravens. There's Fantasy Fever, which deals with all things fantasy football, and a pair of mixed bag shows from It's About Time DC and Diamond Thunder. All these shows are available wherever podcasts can be found, so please check them out. And if you like any of these shows, please leave a review and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. We do have one more Washington Redskins topic real quick. Uh Jalen Ramsey of the Jacksonville Jaguars cornerback, uh, Jalen Ramsey, and safety Minka Fitzpatrick of the Miami Dolphins both have voiced their displeasures with their teams and they want to be traded. Uh, reports are out there, or rumors, it's not really a report, rumors are out there that the Redskins are interested in getting one of those guys. Uh, let's start with you, Darren, real quick. Uh, should the Redskins actually even like pursue Jalen Ramsey or Minka Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I think it's pursu- I think it's worth pursuing at least one of them. Ah, this is this is a tricky one because I've been kind of monitoring the situation as well. So I think the last that I heard, I think that Minka Fitzpatrick was probably the one that they're most closely eyeing. But I think they're trying to have a deal done by Tuesday. I just don't really see that happening, honestly. I think that Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, is probably going to be a little bit too expensive for the Redskins, but I think the only way that you kind of jump in and try to make a move on either one of these guys 
is if you, you know, try to package Trent Williams or something like that, try to get someone in who obviously isn't going to be here. Like, we know that Trent Williams isn't going to be here. And I think that maybe, maybe you could talk the Jaguars into taking a Trent Williams and maybe a lower draft pick. Yeah, I think you just, you go for Fitzpatrick, see if you can get, see if you can get, like, Trent Williams, you know, traded or something like that. But I also think that if you try to go for Jalen Ramsey, I think that you just end up with another disgruntled player who won't really want to be here. Because, I mean, Jalen Ramsey's whole reason for requesting a trade out of Jacksonville is because he hates the situation and the team isn't doing that well, etc. So I don't really think it's worth risking a rental for Jalen Ramsey when it seems like he's just not going to be happy here. So I think if you go for either one of them, you go for Mika Fitzpatrick, see if you can get a deal done as soon as possible. But other than that, I think that's probably the Redskins' best option at this point. Yeah, I like both players. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's a elite talent. I really do like what he brings to the table. Um, I think one thing about Mika Fitzpatrick that I really do like is uh, the ability to play that safety spot, but had also had the skills to defend man on man as a corner would in NFL. So I think that in uh, the grand scheme of things, I would rather have Ramsey. But I'm ex- once. I heard the news of Mika Fitzpatrick requesting a trade. There's somebody I immediately thought the Redskins to try to pursue. And this was before the Cowboys game. And Bonte Nicholson, no disrespect to him, for what it's worth, what we saw at the beginning of the 2017 season, he you know showed promise, but for between injuries, off the field stuff, and Whatever case may be, he's missed a lot of he's missed a lot of time in his time here in DC. And when he's been on the field, it's hasn't been necessarily, you know, necessarily great. He's had he's had some spots where he's showed promise, but they're a lot they've been really flashy. They haven't really been, you know, something that really says, hey, he's a guy that can be uh starting safety for you long term. And I think that he's a, I think, like I say, he's a really good player to have on your team. He is, he plays physical. He's seems to be in the right spot at times, but just makes the wrong decision or it's a little hesitant a little bit, but for the most part, he's a good player, but he's not on the level or the potential that these two players have. And so a guy like Mika Fitzpatrick, who the Redskins are reported to have a lot of interest in, um, I think that we need to try to bring in one of these guys. And and it's not, and a lot of people are a lot of people who are against it are reacting to it and saying, "Don't try to blow up or give up on the season just after have." just after two games because you're 0-2, don't blow up the team or give up on the season and overreact and make a big trade and give up a lot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not that for me. It's not giving up players or try to give up draft picks for players that you're not really 
uh, just because we are we had two bad losses to two division rivals. Uh, the Redskins don't have a difference maker. There's nobody on this Redskin team that when um, an opposing coaching staff is preparing for a game against the Redskins, looks at our roster, goes into the team meeting and into the divisional room or whatever, and circles a name on the board and say, we got to figure out how to beat this guy on Sunday. There's nobody on the Redskins roster that a defense, I mean, that an opposing offense or opposing defense says that about. And so we need a guy like that. And both of those guys, Mika Fitzpatrick and Jalen Ramsey, especially, are those guys and have the potential to be those guys uh, if the Racers were able to get one of those players uh, traded for. And so in that regard, I'm all for the trade. For both of these players, if I can get either one of them without giving up the 2020 first-round pick, because I like a lot of the talent that's at the top of the draft uh, this year for positions that we need. If Trent Williams doesn't come back like a lot of people expect him not to come back or expect him to be traded away, there's a lot of offensive tackle uh a lot of offensive tackle talent at the top of the draft this year. There's playmakers. Uh, Jer- Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb at receiver. I like Terry McLaurin, but he he can't do it by himself. You get another guy in there t- that can that has the potential to be a Julio Jones, Odell Beckham type of player to a pair with a Terry McLaurin. Then you have a, a, a explosive offense that we haven't had in a very long time in D.C. You know, there's also a lot of defensive talent that. I don't want to risk giving up, especially if it continues to go the way people think it will and the way it's looking will be a top five draft pick. So if you can get one of these talents without giving up a really high draft pick in the upcoming draft, then you can be able to really make this an appealing team, an appealing situation, not only for the players that you have on your roster and your fan base, but for uh, potential coaches and potential players. Because if it goes as bad as people expect it to this season, Jay Gruden and staff will have a lot of resume building to do and trying to find a new job and we've run into the problem as a Redskins team of having issues of bringing in talent that we want to come here that we want to come here to to coach or to play and so the one way you can change that rapidly is by adding pieces that you can market and package up to this to a potential player or an agent or a coach and say hey you Listen, we want you to be the new head coach for the Redskins. We want you to come in and do this for us and really turn our team around. We have a great front defensive line with Allen, Ionidas, Payne. We have a, a veteran in Kerrigan. We have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. We have the, uh, Haskins and Terry McLaren, and we have a great base of an offensive line, let's, you know, we just need somebody to help bring everything else together. And so you can package it up a little bit better if you have, you can throw in a Fitzpatrick or a Jalen Ramsey into that situation. It helps make this team a lot more desirable. And I think that's something that the Redskins really need to take stock of going forward. You have to be able to sell this team to the fan base as well as all, and also the rest of the NFL because nobody's taking us seriously right now.
All right, let's uh, quickly get to our next topic. It has to deal with the Washington Nationals. Now, uh, the Nationals are currently a, uh, they're currently uh, a game and a half ahead of the second place wildcard team, the Chicago Cubs. However, the last 10 games, they've had a record of four and six. Uh, And like I mentioned just a few seconds ago, the Cub, they're ahead of the Cubs a game and a half, and they're ahead of the Milwaukee Buck, sorry, Milwaukee Brewers by two and a half games. Let's start with you, Darren. Do you think the Nats will be able to hold on to this lead with uh, just about two weeks left in the season? I think that with two weeks left in the season, I think that they'll be able to hold on to the lead. I think it's going to be slim, but I think they'll be okay if they can really pick it up, if they can just uh if they can keep showing us what they've been able to do. It's like I it's like I've said in the past, you know, I think that if the Nationals are able to just play their best baseball and just really try to really try to hang in there, you know, you get you get uh you know, you get what you need from from uh, the most important guys on the team. Then I think that I think that we'll be okay. And it's like I've also said, if the Nationals make it into the playoffs, I think that especially if they make it into the wild card round, and then if they make it deeper, I think they're going to be one of those teams that other teams aren't going to want to see in the playoffs. I think that they are good enough for that. So yeah, overall, I just think that the Nationals will be able to make it. Um, I've been kind of hard on them in the past and about like not getting too excited, et cetera. But I think that they're good enough to, to, to get in without, without too much issue. Just, they've just got to make sure that they, that they keep everything together. And real quick on the top standing is that I know that uh, Dave Martinez is in the hospital for a heart procedure. So real quick, he's like, he's in our thoughts and we're, and we're, and we're thinking about him and, and just you know, hoping, wishing him a speedy recovery. Apparently, it, it it's it, they're saying he's gonna be okay, but just we want to make sure that that he's you know, just want to shout that out and say that you know, hope he gets well soon and whatnot. So, but yeah, I think the Nationals will, will as the wild card race goes. All right, what about you, Gerard? What, do you think they're gonna hold on to this lean and make the postseason? Um. I think they will. I like what they have coming up on their schedule to close out the season. Right now, they're game one of an important series against St. Louis. Uh, I think, uh, like I said, Mark Dave, Davey Martinez is going undergoing some personal stuff to get better, get ready for this uh, playoff push. I like what we have in our team to really have a chance to hold on to our wild card position and be able to uh, do some damage going into October. And so, but one thing that's going to be very important, everybody knows that a lot of people probably have a schedule. This is five game series against the uh, Phillies to kind of close up the, close up the month of of September. And so that's going to be very important for us in the standings and to be able to gauge where we're at, to try to close out the season on the high note and at least the regular season, and then make our way into the playoffs. So I like this. I like what we have in the Nationals. I like the, the chances. I like the chances they have to hold on to a wild card spot. Hopefully, they can um, win this Cardinals series. If they just keep 
keep doing what they do and not panic. Don't let what's been going on affect them too much. Just continue to play the baseball they've been playing for most of the summer, and they will be able to hold on to that uh, position and make it into the playoffs. All right, let's now move on to the Washington Mystics. They are here. It is playoff time. Uh, they will face the Las Vegas Aces in the WMB, uh, WNBA semifinals. What's your prediction for the series, Gerard? Mystics win. I don't. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. I think that this Mystics team is just too deep. They have too many weapons, I think at the end of the day it becomes basketball is such a sport that's dominated by having the best player on the court and every single night the Mystics go out there, they have the best player on the court. And Elena Del Don is such is playing at such a high level that if it continues going into the postseason, I don't see I don't see how it doesn't just continue to just be an unfair advantage for the Mystics, and they should be able to. It's going to be some challenges. They'll run into some roadblocks. They wouldn't be the first favorite going into a playoff push in WBA to, you know, come into a roadblock and have a team figure out how to beat them. But they will have a lot of help for, um, just from having the best player in women's basketball right now on their on their team. Yeah, um, I definitely have the Mystics winning. You know, for those that don't know, or for those that are less familiar, you know, the the WNBA playoffs. There's, you know, you have your you have your play in rounds, and you know the Mystics got got their first two round buys. So, um, you know, here in the semifinals, you know, their best of five series. Just so you so you know, um, I've got them winning three uh, one. I think the Aces do steal a game. Uh, I respect the Aces. I respect their talent. I think they're just too good to just kind of get swept uh, out of the semifinals. Uh, the biggest issue is just the Aces don't have the depth that the that the Mystics have. You know, uh, they've got you know Diarca De- De- Hamby who hit that amazing game winner against Chicago on Sunday night. I don't know if y'all saw it, but it was just amazing. It was a half court heave. Uh, Clock expiring, but I mean, not really a last second shot, but clock expiring. It was amazing. You know, they've got Liz Cambridge and Aja Wilson, who are who are also uh, stars in the WNBA. But, you know, they're front court players. You know, they've got a little bit of limitations as far as uh, as far as guard players. But the sticks are just deeper, you know, even with Christy Tolliver injured, you know, we don't know if she's going to be able to play at all in the playoffs. They're optimistic, but we don't know. Um, Even without our starting point guard, you know, they're still deeper. You know, Emma Mieseman's actually shooting a higher percentage than Elena Deladon, believe it or not. We talked about it last week. Uh, Elena Deladon joined the 50-40-90 club. So I really think that, that the only thing that could potentially stop this mix this Mystics team dead in their tracks is an injury to Elena Deladon. I, you know, their only loss to the Aces was when they didn't have Elena Deladon. You know, they've had some interesting games. You know, there was a mid-game earthquake the second time they played, and then a 20-minute clock shorting out delay, like the last time that they played. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen with these two teams? But, uh. It should be a good series. It should be some exciting basketball. 
Vegas being the, the best defensive team in the league. I think if I had to predict it, their strategy is probably just going to be let Elena Deladon get whatever she wants while trying to limit the players around her. But I just, even then, I just think the Mystics are too deep for a strategy like that to work. So it should be a good, it should be a good series. But yeah, I got the Mystics winning in four games. All right, let's now get to our final topic for this episode. It is not a DMV-based topic, but it's still one of the popular sports topics for the last, uh, you could say, week and change. Uh, California has passed a bill to allow California college athletes to be able to make money off their likeness and other endorsements. The NCAA has asked, the state governor to not sign the bill. Uh, They've also warned California colleges and universities that schools will not be eligible to participate in postseason play if the bill is passed. Let's start with you, Gerard. First, should college athletes even get paid for playing sports? Um, For a while, actually, I was in the camp that uh, college athletes shouldn't uh, be paid or not that they shouldn't be paid, but that there isn't a, that there's, there shouldn't be a school paying their college athletes type thing or system in place. Cause though it's a domino effect, I believe, I believe that, it'd be a lot of trouble figuring figuring out how to do it because you have to pay if you're going to play fo- pay football players you have to pay basketball players volleyball players softball players people on the golf team you would have to pay all your athletes and so how do you split that up how do you what how do you dictate who gets what etc etc do scholarship athletes get more do each player who do starters get more and for the bigger schools, they'd be able to figure out a way to do it because they have booster programs, they get TV revenue, they get this, they get that. Um, but for the smaller schools, the schools that have programs and have players where being in, being a collegiate athlete means so much more to them than just being on a sports team because it's the way to get their education – those schools would have to cut athletic programs and uh, not necessarily the money-making ones, but the smaller ones that don't necessarily bring in any money because they have to be able to pay those players. And so for a long time, that was my thinking on it. But with this bill that the California, that state of California passed, it's not, it's not saying, hey, universities, pay your athletes. It's saying, hey, Universities allow your athletes to go out and make money by using whatever little fame they have. You know, if it's a big school like a UCLA, a starting quarterback at UCLA or USC might be able to get a local endorsement or might be able to go out and sign autographs and make money that way. But if you're going to a small D2 school in California somewhere and you know it's a small town and that university has a lot of local lifelong fans and you're able to go out and you know just get a uh in like a local diner pays a kid 
uh, 500 bucks and a lifetime supply of meals to be able to use his name for one of their burgers or something like that. It means it, it could mean so much and be able to help out that, uh, that, that college athlete to be able to go out and make money off his own likeness. And so it's something that I really do get behind uh, this NCAA treating it like it's like Walmart treats union unions. It's something that is very eye-opening and that the a regulatory agency like somebody in the government should look at what the NCAA is doing and making sure that it's what they're doing is fair practice and fair to the players that make up their institution, make up their business. So I'll say this. Uh, the, 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 to answer the question quickly, uh, yes, college athletes should be paid for what they bring to the school. Uh, ultimately, if it was a perfect world, if it was a perfect, if, if it was my perfect world, uh, it would be the actual NCAA that will be paying the players because the NCAA, I'm looking at figures right now in 2017, uh, they made a billion dollars just off of football and basketball. And so I think the NCAA should pay them but what they're but what this law is is like you mentioned it's not the NC, it's not the schools themselves and it's not the ncaa um it is uh is the player being able to basically profit off of their own likeness it's it's like the quote-unquote olympic model uh, they're the, the the Olympic Committee uh, uh the IOC and the uh US I think it's the USOC they they don't pay uh these athletes for performing. Yes, you end up getting I think a reward for a gold medal or something. And of course you get your stipend, but the bulk of the money that Olympic athletes get is from is from endorsements and them able being able to sell themselves. I think the step that the state of California is is taking is actually really it's a really good start. And even if for the next and let's say the law goes into effect, if it goes into effect, I think it'll start officially 2022 or 2023. I think it's a step in a great in a, in a, in a great direction. And even if it ends up just being that these players can, you know, profit off of their own likeness and put that also, because what this does, it, it helps pretty much everybody. For example, it can help the backup kicker if he wants to sell, you know, because for example, I'm, I'm just throw out an example. At some universities, they actually do have two and three kickers that play in a game. So, so uh, you know, you can get the kicker who is, you know, he can have a do a local uh, TV or radio commercial for for a nearby uh, business. But uh, it can also help the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, where he can end up signing autographs, signing photos, and he can make hundreds of thousands before, you know, before they even get into the league. So it actually helps everyone. Um, and also what it, what it does is, um, 
what it does is it it also allows those who are not going to be career or professional players it allows them to actually get something out of college outside of the scholarship for example i mean and let's not even talk about this this is so off topic but let's not let me just quickly say this these athletes are granted scholarships but they're they have they're granted four one-year scholarships and then they can get a fifth if they were if they red shirt if they red shirt you know it's not a guarantee that if you got a scholarship offer in your after your senior year of high school that you're going to be there you could play one year and then that's it and then the school doesn't owe you anything so at least this allows the athlete to to be able to to get something and like i said it allows the star heisman trophy winner or the naismith uh, or the wooden award in basketball it also allows athletes of other sports if they want to to market themselves because in some areas of this country, baseball is big. In some areas, lacrosse is huge, like in the mid-Atlantic here. And some areas down south and in the Midwest, soccer is huge. So like it doesn't matter which sport you're in, it's just you can market yourself and get what you deem is appropriate for you. And it actually does, even though I don't like even though I don't like helping out the NCAA, it actually helps the NCAA because the NCAA doesn't necessarily have to be part of this, you know? So I, I think, I think in the, in the meantime, this is a good thing. And just real quick, um, real quick, uh, Gerard, I did have a follow-up question for this one. And, and the question was more on the lines of, do you think this is a, uh, a step, in a direction that maybe other states might start, you know, might start doing this. I think it, I think it definitely is. I think that's something, I think it's something that for it to really be able to take effect, uh, the other, other states have to be able to get into it. California being the first and it being a state with a lot of schools would definitely help. But, you know, the NCAA tries to stay firm and say that if the California teams don't have, uh, and the California teams passed, the California passes this law that those schools would not be eligible for postseason play. If states like Florida followed suit, Texas followed suit, North Carolina, you know, if North Carolina did something like this, the NCAA would lose millions because you wouldn't be able to have an NCAA tournament with UNC or Duke. So it it has a lot. Uh, so other states really do need to kind of get behind it. And I think California being the first one is going to lead to states that are typically a little bit more uh, progressive, uh, taking that next step themselves. And the more states that do it, the more uh, the more of a far further reach that it will have. And yes, you you, gr- you bring up a great point. Uh, other states obviously have to get in this. And uh, one thing I didn't mention, uh, the NCAA is pressuring uh, the state of California to not do this because they, what they're going to say is they're going to make uh, California schools and uh, schools not eligible for postseason play. Now, real quick, uh, real quick, Gerard, do you think 
if this goes into a, th- do you think the NCAA is really going to block California schools from participating in postseason play? Um, I think that they are going to. I, th- I don't know how far they they'll go with that bluff because, unfortunately. California schools haven't, at least in the big money-making sports, basketball and football, a California team hasn't really been dominant in the past decade or so. So it's not like USC is going to be ranked fourth by the end of the season or anything like that. And so they might miss out on having a playoff team come January. But they might California might be able to be a big enough state where if they were to do it, it would send a shockwave to all the other states, but also at the same time, not enough of the team of the sports that bring in a lot of money for the NCAA are in that state, so they wouldn't lose out on money anyway. Now, if Alabama passed this bill, or South Carolina passed this bill, or Ohio, or in et cetera, then maybe it it mean a little something different um, for the NCAA because Ooh. then they'd be threatening to ban uh, Clemson Tide from the postseason, which is you know blasphemous. So. It might mean a little bit more then, but I think that there's a chance that they try to hit these teams, these schools, with some type of sanctions if they if California signs this bill. Now, Darren, uh, just want to update you. We we had a question where we asked about uh, college athletes. Uh, just real quick, do you think college athletes should be paid? I. <sighs> Man, I've been going back and forth on this literally all weekend ever since this this news broke. And I think I have to err on the side of yes, I think I think that they're I think that they should be allowed to receive some sort of compensation for their likenesses and their talents and whatnot. I do believe that at the very least they should be able to use, be able to use their likenesses and their brands to make money as, as collegiate athletes. I, I'm still on the fence about like the actual NCAA and or colleges paying paying them directly for for competing and whatnot i'm still i i don't know how i feel about that but i definitely i think it's a no-brainer that that college students shouldn't be barred from being able to use their likenesses for profit and whatnot i believe they should be able to take ownership of their brand uh in the collegiate arena and they should be able to make money off their likenesses or off other people using their likenesses as well you know they should be able to to you know make money however they see fit you know even if it's not from you know the ncaa or whatnot paying them directly they should be able to profit um that's that's ultimately you know i i believe that 
you can want to profit from your likeness and still care about winning and the team and developing as an athlete, etc. I don't believe that those two things are mutually exclusive, which is the biggest sort of argument that I've heard against uh, college athletes getting paid. You know, it's about team or, you know, they're focused or whatnot, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I do believe that two things can be true. They can, they shouldn't, if they're able to make money off their likenesses then then why not so i'm i'm behind athletes receiving compensation for for competing all right so we're we're all i guess we're all on the same page that athletes should be compensated for their performances on the playing surface now let's let's table this this discussion and actually bring it back for next week let's have a some little homework for us uh <laughs> let's actually try and come up with an actual system of how to pay these players so we i got we got a week okay since we since we all agreed that they should be paid we have a week to come up with our i guess you could say our uh our plans for the NCAA players being compensated. Yeah. Is that a, is that a deal with you all? Sure. I, I can work with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all it. right. So we got one week to get it done. So uh, that will do it for us here at DMV Dispute. Hopefully you all enjoyed the show. And if you did, subscribe to us wherever podcasts are available. Maybe even leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice because that will help us grow in the charts and reach people. You can find us on Twitter at DMV Dispute. I am Squared 21 Darren, what about you? I am D-Bird Hoops. That's D-B-I-R-D Hoops. Go Mystics. I'll be at the game Tuesday night. Let's get it done. Let's wrap it up. Run it back. All right. And what about you, Jerron? They can find me on Twitter at Roddy Cages at R-O-D-D-Y-K-G. Shout out to University Liber- Liberty University Flames. First one in the 2019 season. Got a uh, shutdown win over Buffalo this past weekend. Go Flames. All right. Unfortunately, we didn't even get to this. We have, Look, this is the thing. Yeah. This week, there was actually a lot of things. We didn't get into the Evgeny Kuznetsov. We could talk about him next week. Unfortunately, yeah. the Maryland Terrapins fell to the Temple Owls. So, uh, but real, but real quick before we wrap up this show, just rapid fire: the Baltimore Ravens are facing the Kansas City Chiefs. Gerard, who's winning? Baltimore over the Chiefs by three. All right. What about you, uh, Darren? I've got the Chiefs over the Ravens by three. All right. This one is real tough. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with the Kansas City Chiefs on this. It'll probably be uh, a close game like you all. And then the Monday night game. Start with you, Darren. Bears will be traveling here to D.C. to face the Washington Redskins. Who's winning that game? (sighs) Against my better judgment. I think I think I picked the Redskins at the beginning. I think I picked the Redskins to win this one. I don't know if you have that up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns. I'm gonna say, even though I've already been wrong, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns and say the Redskins win this one. They get their first win of the season on Monday night. What about you, Jerron? Uh, give me the Bears by six. Give All right. Bears. 
Yeah, give me the Bears by six. All right. Uh, I think the Redskins are going to pull this off, and I believe this was the game that we both agreed on, Darren, that yeah. the Redskins would win this game. So, yes, yes I think that's what's going to will happen. If right, it wasn't Chuck, on Monday night, I would think they would win. If it was on Sunday at one, I think they would win. That was what I originally said. I think when we were calling this, but I, I, I felt, I felt like, yeah, Monday night isn't a good and isn't a good night for the Redskins. But I think, I think they're gonna pull this one out. Well, uh, Kirk Cousins isn't here anymore. Right, Kirk Cousins. <laughs> uh, don't forget to check out DMVSportsNetwork.com. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at DMV underscore SN. And if you want to join the team, contact them via Twitter, the website, or shoot them an email at DMVSportsNetwork at Outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace out, everyone. Peace.